Welcome to another exciting episode of the BCI podcast. Today, we have the privilege of hosting a distinguished guest, Professor Anil Kohl, a renowned leader in the field of global public health and infectious disease discovery. Professor Kohl currently serves as the Vice President and Head of the Global Public Health and Infectious Disease Discovery Unit at Johnson & Johnson Pharmaceuticals, operating from Belgium. With over 20 years of experience in drug discovery, development, and scientific innovation, Professor Call has made remarkable contributions to the field. Previously, he held the position of the director at the Institute of Microbial Technology, a premier biotechnology lab under the Ministry of Science and Technology, Government of India. His exceptional leadership and dedication to advancing research have positioned him as a key influencer in the industry. Professor Cole's expertise extends beyond his corporate role. He has recently been appointed as an adjunct professor of translational research at the esteemed London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. This appointment reflects his commitment to driving translational TB discovery research, furthering our understanding and treatment of tuberculosis. One of Professor Cole's most significant achievements is his pivotal role in the discovery and development of bedaquiline a groundbreaking drug for the drug-resistant tuberculosis. Bidaquilin has been conditionally approved in over 64 countries and has made a remarkable impact on the lives of more than 30,000, more than 300,000 TB patients. Recognized for his contributions, Professor Call has received prestigious awards such as the Sun Pharma Research Award and the Swiss Tuberculosis Prize. Beyond this groundbreaking research, Professor Call has published in leading scientific journals and holds more than 25 international patents. His expertise in moving drugs from discovery into clinical development is evident through his involvement in the progress of three other drug candidates, including one currently undergoing phase three clinical testing for respiratory viral infection. Professor Call's passion for global public health and his drive to bridge the gap between scientific innovation and neglected diseases have shaped his distinguished career. His work spans across three continents and he currently serves on the board of directors of Janssen Pharmaceuticals Belgium and the Scientific Advisory Board of the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research India. We are truly really honored to have Professor Anil Kual on our podcast today. Welcome to the BCI podcast, Professor Kual, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Manish. It's so nice to be with you. It's wonderful to see you also. Amazing. So let's dive in straight away. I'll start with, you know, what inspired you to pursue a career in science and how did you get started in the field? Oh, that's a fantastic question. I think I started in, my interest in science started uh, when I was a kid uh, in the school. As you might remember, 1980, early and mid-1980s was a phenomenal phase of biology. It was a phase when, when people started cloning genes. It was a phase when we had a, a new discovery in terms of recombinant DNA technology. At that time in the school, it was I was still uh, in, the, uh, in the secondary school, uh, at that time, we had uh, a concept came across uh, in the classroom, which was around jumping genes. So we, with all naivety, I, me especially, and some of my friends, with all naivety, thought that, that oh, these genes are jumping from one one place to another, and it, it fascinated me as I, I thought of what exactly are these genes? Why do they need to jump? And eventually became what we call genetic drifts uh, uh, and uh, all the uh, genome rearrangements that happen. But as a school kid, uh, the concept of that you can cut and paste the genes, the gene cloning, which was in the infancy at that time, uh, it, it really, really stimulated me to go in the field of uh, biology, to go in the field of biotechnology and a subsequent application in terms of, uh, in terms uh, in medicine as such. So, so I can tell you that I grew in a school uh, uh, with all these fascinations of science and miracles uh, and the promise of biotechnology to shape human health. 
and that's that's how I uh, stuck to the biology and stuck to the biotechnology of uh, biomolecular medicine. Amazing, amazing. So, you know, I would be more interested in knowing your educational journey and perhaps also, you know, what apart from science fascinated you, like, was there any childhood dreams of yours or something like that? Please highlight your educational journey and, and about the dreams. Yeah, I think uh, uh, when uh, when I was in the school, uh, in the secondary school, there used to be an advertisement coming out uh, in, the, in, in radio at that time. It was about uh, and more directed towards the girl child. Mm-hmm. It was the government itself. And the advertisement was that if you don't want to be an engineer, you can be a genetic engineer. Oh, this was this was really fascinating for me because first and first and foremost, it gave me a perspective that there's something else you can do apart from the conventional story of being a doctor or an engineer, which most of the Indian families have that the conventional route of uh, success. But this was something very fascinating. I don't know who designed that advertisement and must have been a very, very creative guy. But it, every morning I used to listen it at around 9, 9 a.m. Um, before the school time. And, uh, and it somehow, uh, it, and that, that word genetic engineering stuck with me uh, and brought the entire fascination in terms of uh, in terms of the gene cloning and in terms of the genetics, in terms of uh, genetic manipulation, in terms of all the possibilities of uh, uh, of biotechnology. So that was the beginning of it. Uh, eventually, and luckily I should say, it stayed with me, that interest, that fascination. And, uh, and in 1990s, uh, a strange thing happened or an unfortunate thing happened. Uh, we had to leave uh, at JNK, um, Jammu and Kashmir, where I was born. I was born in Srinagar. I did my entire schooling in Srinagar, which is part of Jammu and Kashmir. So with all the... Well, which school did you went, by the way? Like, in It was called Hindu High School. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and with, you all know the... The, 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 um, the, 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 the tragic issue. situation that happened happened in 1990s and that evolved and uh, and because of that we had to leave our home we we the whole community suffered a lot a loss of uh, the loss of uh, being uprooted from the place where you had you had generations and generations of existence so that project event still shaped my life a lot and shaped all of our lives a lot uh, and that migration, that trauma, that pain uh, uh, stayed in terms of uh, getting uprooted from the from the place where you have been living for generations. So after that, after the schooling, uh, I went to Delhi University. I had an opportunity to uh, option of uh, studying medicine at, back in JNK or in Jammu, which uh, which as I said that I somehow wanted to. Uh, rebel against the conventional wisdom of, or the conventional career choices of, of being a doctor or an engineer. So I went to Delhi University and uh, started studying biology. And uh, Delhi University being an amazing place, it shaped me for the rest of the life. And uh, and I did my bachelor's in Delhi University. I did my master's in Delhi University. And then that eventually uh, eventually helped me uh, to uh, to transition into a PhD at uh, at a Max Planck Institute of uh, Biochemistry in Martin Street in Germany. So tell us oh, about this journey. Like you know, how did you end up in Germany? So it's it's very interesting because uh, after my masters, I I joined an institution called uh, called uh, CBT at that time Center for Biochemical Technology, which is part of the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research. And now it's IGIB. Yeah. Now it's called IGIB, Institute of Genomics and Integrated Biology. Uh, as once again, part of the CSR, uh, 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 CSR Group of Organization for Government of India. So at IGIB, I had a, a fantastic guy. 
His name was Dr. Yoginder Singh. One of the phenomenal uh, persons I have met in, uh, in my life, not only as a scientist, but as a human being. I think the, uh, the human aspect of him was really amazing. So we started doing what we call a TV, a TV discovery uh, in IGIB uh, in his lab. So we started looking at uh, signaling molecules in mycobacterium tuberculosis with the aim that at one day we will be able to target them for therapeutic application. Dr. Singh once came, I still remember the day, he came to me and said that, look Adil, all our expertise, what the lab is doing is in anthrax. Mm -hmm. is, his expertise was just anthrax biology. And you started looking at TB, so it's relatively new in the lab. So I don't think it's a good idea to move ahead for looking at these kinases and phosphatases in mycobacterium tuberculosis when we have no evidence. We don't know whether they will they even exist. We don't know what we are looking for. And I'm not sure that that this 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 is the right proposition. I said, but look, this is a chance to do something completely different, which nobody has done before. So why don't we stick to it? He said that if we want to still do it. Let's see if there are other collaborative partners or labs which have more established kinase biology and phosphatase assays and platforms available. I said, okay, I'm fine with that. I was a young student. I had I had my entire life before me to explore and also pay. So what Dr. Singh said that, okay, let's try to look for new new collaborative partners. So what I did for the next one month, I looked at all the labs across the world who are doing kinases in Texas in all naivety. Think no, globally. 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 Mm -hmm. And in the end, I landed up with a, with a, uh, with a publication. At that time, they, of course, there was a limited use of the Google app. Uh, or very, there was no Google at, at that time. So what we did, we we our, our pop at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what we landed up was, uh, I landed up with a, a publication in Nature by a group in in Germany, which was Max Planck's Institute of uh, 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 Max Planck's Institute of Biochemistry, with the with the last author, Professor Axel Ulrich. and and it was all about kinases and the biology in uh, in cancer. So a uh, role of receptor titers in kinases in oncology. Yeah, with all naivety and with all ignorance, I wrote to Professor Ulrich that I'm interested in uh, in discovering kinases in mycobacterium tuberculosis. Are you also interested in it? It's a common interest. Your interest is in oncology. My interest is in TB. So you as a student wrote him for a collaboration, right? I as a student wrote him mm -hmm. for a collaboration mm -hmm. because of mutual interest. Mm -hmm. At that time, the access to the email was very, very limited, I can tell you. It was in uh, mid-90s, uh, uh, yeah, around 1995, 96, 96 around that time. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I literally had to go to an institution which is now called India Habitat Center, beg somebody can I write an email as a student to a professor in Germany, not knowing whether the guy will ever reply? And after three or four days, uh, I get a phone call uh, in, in our lab from India Habitat Center that, that I have got a response to the email I sent. So yeah, I went back and saw that Professor Excel said that I am also very interested in TB and uh, microbacterial kinases. So why don't we collaborate? Why don't you come out? And that's how I landed up eventually with all the fellowships and all the all the paperwork and all the interviews that had to happen. It happened, and as destiny would have been, I landed up in one of the best, most famous labs in the world in kinase biology. Amazing, amazing. And, you know, tell us more about your, you know, days in Germany, what science you pursued in the lab. And then also later on, please tell us about, you know, how did you transition to the R&D role in J&J, &J, you know? 
about that transition. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, um, being at uh, Max Planck, being in the lab, it was at the forefront of kinase biology uh, and in cancer, which was at the forefront of transforming the cancer. Because Excel Hulvet was the person who did a fundamental discoveries in discovering uh, the drug, which is called Herceptin, which is one of major drugs for treatment of uh, of breast cancer. It's a, it's an antibody against uh, uh, a HER2 receptor, and he had a he had a fundamental role uh, for which he was uh, recognized uh, globally uh, for that for that discovery and several other phenomenal discoveries. But within the lab also, his passion was, how do we change the global public health? How, how do we change the field of TB? With, he had seen the innovation happening in cancer, but for, uh, for disease like TB, we all knew that there was no drug available for last 45 years. So uh, we started, I started in a lab Everybody else was looking at cancer biology, and I was the only one who was looking at uh, at TB using. But I had the resources of all the tools and techniques available to me in a 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 cancer biology environment. But I think it gave me fundamental insights into how we should address a problem looking at multidimensional perspective. How do you use field tools, techniques uh, from one field? How that can be used into the uh, into the uh, in, uh, into the uh, into another biological phenomenon or biological understanding? So uh, with that, uh, three years in a Max Planck, I I was able to we were able to clone uh, at least eleven. Kinases and phosphatases. Uh, we, we were able to really define them as drug targets, as potential drug targets for new therapeutics in uh, in TB, and uh, and we 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 eventually uh, were able also to show that some of these uh, these drug targets, some of these kinases can be used as therapeutic targets uh, for new drug discovery. So it really changed the whole field of TB in terms of what we call signal construction or host pathogen interaction. So, so that that was really really phenomenal. And at the same time, it also, since Excel was coming from industry background, he, he had a genetic uh, role, uh, and he went to the academia. So it also, he was very keen on looking at the translational aspects of uh, basic biology drug discoveries. And he, he was a seedal entrepreneur. He founded several companies. Uh, and, um, and yeah, that that put me in the forefront of that. Now we need to do something for TB. We need to discover new drugs. And, and there must be other ways of a, a drug discovery for TB. Uh, and that's why I went from looking from kinases or host targets for TB uh, uh, into more uh, into uh, what I call uh, some some very novel targets when I joined J and J in two thousand three or two thousand four. And how did this transition happen? Like you know, you you're somebody really interested in science. So why didn't you pursue the classical PhD, postdoc, professorship route rather than this industrial route? Like how did this transition happen? Yeah, I I, I think the phenomenon the 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 main attraction at that time for me was basically because kinases were so so common drug targets they were so fundamental uh, uh, in drug discovery that i saw that this is the easiest application for me to see whether we can do the drug discovery for tb uh, and find new drugs for tb using kinases so at that time, Excel uh, said that I, I always thought that oncology is much more privileged and carrier's choice than TB. Mm-hmm. He said, no, let's let's focus on the kinases uh, of TB. Let's let's see uh, how we can transform TB. You came from India to this lab 
to do TV research. So you should not get swore away by by the glamour of oncology. By the glamour of oncology, by the tools available for oncology, you should stay in DB. And I think his persuasion was very right. And in 2003, there was an opportunity of starting a new TB uh, group in Belgium, mm -hmm. uh, in J&J. &J. And, uh, and, and uh, after Excel Ulrich Lamps, actually I, I worked in a company called Eczema where we were looking at host pathogen interaction. We were trying to target the host we were trying to target the host uh, biology in order to see whether we can control infections mm -hmm. and control infectious uh, bacteria as well as infection viruses. So very novel concept in terms of understanding how host biology plays a role in several of the infectious diseases. But uh, they're extremely challenging extremely uh, not easy to uh, uh, to uh, to explore so what we did is that i said okay now enough of the host let's let's go back to the pathogen and see whether we can target tb by its own biology and that's why i moved to jnj which was the easiest opportunity for me at that time and because the group was being set and the molecules were being discovered and uh, I landed up in a lab of Professor uh, Kuhn Andres, mm -hmm. one of the very, very phenomenal persons I have met. Excel, well, on one hand, was, was looking at the broader picture, oncology, kinases, serial entrepreneur. And here was another guy, uh, Kuhn Andres, who was extremely focused. His main mission at that stage in his life was to see how do we change the landscape of TB. How do we develop the next generation TB drug? I learned a lot from him. I, the biggest thing I learned from him, how to stay focused. In this world where we get distracted, so easy. And uh, I can tell you, uh, his singular focus, he left so many other opportunities of, uh, of Carrier, increasing your carrier ladder, increase your titles and all that. But his, his focus and his joy in bringing the next generation TB molecule was amazing. So uh, we started together. We established the bio biology group. We looked at new molecules with the chemistry happening in, in Paris, biology happening in, not Paris, in France, biology happening in Belgium. And we, we, after 12 years, uh, or yeah, maybe 12 to 15 years, we discovered Bedeklin. And, and uh, as everybody knows, it changed the human uh, life uh, for millions of people patients globally. So I come, I will go deeper into the Bedeklin story. But before that, you know, a lot of our audience are actually PhD students. And they always have this dilemma whether to, you know, go for an industrial career or go for a career in academia. So how did you make a conscious choice, whether like, because you joined Exima, right? Which is kind of a company. So yeah. how did you take that decision that I'll not pursue academic research, rather I will switch to industry? What was the decision-making process like? I think the decision, it's, you never make these conscious decisions. It's, it's the opportunity which shapes you. We all think that our successes are somehow uh, 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 our own, but we don't realize there are so many events and circumstances and and people who shape us, Absolutely. who shape what we are today, who, sh who, sh who give us those opportunities and who believe in us. So it's uh, going from academia to industry, of course, there has to be opportunity. Of course, there has to be your interest and seeing what you are doing in the labs uh, gets translated. Some people are fascinated by basic biology, which is also fantastic. Absence. How it's how the innovation happens. Some people are more fascinated by the application of basic biology uh, and seeing translation of it. Equally, both are equally fundamentally so so important. 
So I was on the other side. I was trying to see how do I see the application because I had seen with Excel how Perceptin, the drug, he, he was one of the core discoverers, how it shaped the lives of the breast cancer patients of the world. We saw it. We saw it in the lab happening. We saw all those interviews. We saw all those news around that. We saw Exelbulid being one of the uh, one of the forefront in terms of the cancer biology. So, so naturally, it shaped me. And with all the opportunities, you 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 see, you start creating opportunities opportunities around the likes of what you want to do in the life. Absolutely, absolutely. And they, they, they start coming in front of your eyes. And that's why you make those conscious decisions to pick them up and see how you can you can further establish on those opportunities. Fantastic, fantastic. So, I mean, we all know that you, you played a significant role in the discovery and development of beta-quiline, which is a groundbreaking, say, drug for the treatment of drug-resistant tuberculosis. So tell us more about the challenges that you faced during the development of this. And for general audience, you know, also please reiterate on the impact that bidiculine currently has on the TV landscape. Yeah, I think Bidiculine's story is one of the most important thing that could happen to my life. I feel, I feel I'm, to be honest, I'm not that great talented. I'm not, there are thousands of people who are much better than me in every aspect. But I can tell you that I, I feel I was, uh, it, it, sometimes you have to be at the right place at the right time. And and to be also guided by your own conviction that uh, that you want to make a positive and authentic impact on somebody else's lives. So by the clean story like that, we started uh, in the lab, we started looking for new compounds. Uh, we started very small uh, in the as a group, uh, and we eventually it became a drug, which was the first drug to be discovered in 45 years for treatment of MDR or uh, uh, drug resistant TB or TB in general. So, Bediclin got approved in 2012 by US FDA, end of 2012, almost 2013, by US FDA. And what we learned in terms of the innovation was, for the first time, we had a new, completely new chemical class, which was which, which eventually became Bediclin. We had a completely new target which is the ATP synthase, where, where the Declan targets. We had a completely new clinical development uh, pathway established as we were doing clinical trials with Bedeclin. And, and last but not least, we had developed over the last several years an access framework, drug access framework, for distributing this drug in more than 170 countries across the world. And also getting the regis drug registered in more than 70 countries across the world. So Bediclin was transformational in several, several ways. Now it is part of WHO's uh, treatment regimen uh, for TB and also on that essential list of medicines list from WHO both for adult as well as pediatric TB. Manish, I think that it's, 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 it's such a shame. You may, you may understand it because today we have 1 million kids who get infected with TB and quarter of quarter million die. These are young kids. These are young kids. And, uh, and in spite of all the human progress, we have still 1.6 million people dying of TB every year. So in spite whatever we call ourselves as a race, there is a huge impact of diseases like TB and diseases like uh, even HIV to some extent, and as well as malaria and several major global public health challenges. So when 
with Brother Clint, we have been, uh, as I said, that we have been transformational, but it was not me. I'm, let me be honest with you. I am the face of it right now speaking to you. But there are hundreds of people involved. There are people involved in the discovery teams. There are people involved in the preclinical development. And there are people involved in the clinical development. And there are people involved in excess uh, uh, group. Who basically what we call lab to the last mile. Last mile is the patient. Who bring the uh, drug from the lab to the last mile uh, to the patient. Mm-hmm. And, and the scientific discoveries sometimes are easy. But the most complicated part is to bring the drug to the bedside of the patient. In in the and that is where we have. I feel that we have done amazing innovation, and in not only in the R and D part of it, but also in the excess part of it. So right now, with it, more than half a million doses globally have been shipped or used in patients uh, across the world. More than 80% of all MDR-TV patients have access to Bethlehem. And, and uh, finally, I think that, that the, key, the key thing which I'm proud of or how this innovation changed the TV field is that before the advent of Bethlehem, all these multi-drug-resistant or extreme-drug-resistant TB patients used to have around 10 to 12 pills every day for almost 18 to 24 months. They used to have a daily injection for almost six months. And it was a torture. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a death threat. It's worse than XDR uh, mortality outcomes are worse than any cancer. With Bedeclin, we have been able to change the treatment paradigm. It's now no longer injectables are needed. It's all oral pills which these patients use. The patients don't have to go to injection of two or three ml every day to a, a to a, a hospital. They can take it at home. It's all oral therapy. So really, once again, I'm fortunate. I'm lucky, and I'm thankful took so many people who, who believed in me that we can do it. We can do it together, who believed in my capabilities of, of uh, and gave me chance. And then it's all about a matter of chance. And I was fortunate, lucky enough, the people who, uh, who guided me, who mentored me, who coached me, who believed in me. And, uh, and, uh, and back to your question that how for the students is the same thing. We as leaders, as need to believe in people and give them the chance and bring the best out of them. And I think everybody has potential. I, I believe we all have potential to do amazing things in our lives. And, uh, and yeah, uh, we, we just need to recognize it. We just need to believe that somebody gave you the chance and you need to return the chance and shape somebody else's life. Absolutely. Uh, Fantastic. And I, I truly appreciate your modesty Professor call, but tell us more about you know your what inspired you to establish this global public health and infectious disease discovery unit at GNJ, and what are the current say objectives and areas of focus for this unit? Uh, yeah, um, once again, as I said that I am the face of Bethlehem, but so many teams, so many people, so many, uh, so so much hard work from uh, from my colleagues at JNJ and outside JNJ also. It's not. It's also the patients. It's also the doctors uh, who who test these medications. It's so many people. It's so complex. It people said I I read it recently. It's easy to send a uh, send a rocket to Mars than uh, to discover a drug. Absolutely, that it's a whole long process, you know. <laughs> and that's the whole long process. And uh, and. And I think it's not only the scientists, it's also the leadership. People who have the leadership responsibility in these places. And especially the current, as well as the previous leadership of J&J, they really believed in 
and changing the treatment paradigm of TB. They thought that this is possible. We, we do it with oncology, we do it neuroscience, we do it immunology uh, areas. But TB, nobody does it. And, at, at, uh, and the leadership believe that this is possible, this can be done. And without that commitment, without that support, it's very hard to do any transformational, uh, uh, transformational drug discovery, especially for neglected diseases. Uh, uh, where where uh, the financial in incentives are is almost nothing. So so you need you need to believe in the human good, in the human health, and the impact your innovation and science can do for millions and millions of people across the world. And that's that's how the genesis of global public health came into being. Because what we saw as an organization, we saw the impact which Pediclin did and globally. We saw its, its, its amazing uh, transformation, not only saving lives of people, that's one thing, but also making it easier uh, for people to take their medication instead of injections and all pill regimen. Pediclin did help uh, to galvanize opinion internally and externally also that you can do transformation for uh, for public health problems. You can make a positive change in millions of lives of people. And I think with that commitment, we as a group or as an organization said that we need to increase the scale, go beyond TB. We need, we uh, can we make the similar impact on dengue? Can we make the similar impact on what we call now antibiotic resistance or new antibiotics? Can we make uh, an impact on other flaviviruses or other bacterial infections? Can we make an impact on COVID with new molecule for COVID therapeutics, not for current, but also for future pandemic? So a lot of things that need to be taken into consideration for public health or public good or the good of human race. And Badeklin was the, the starting point. Badeklin was an inspiration. And Badeklin showed us as an organization, as well as several other organizations, a way how to galvanize resources, people, inspiration, uh, to tackle some of the very difficult human challenges uh, uh, in terms of the healthcare, as well as in terms of the knowledge. Absolutely. Fantastic. So now I'll come to a very interesting question, you know, because I was a summer trainee at Imtech. And when I saw that, you know, you were appointed as the director of the Institute for Microbial Technology, which is a very prestigious institute in India. You know, I was like all excited. Wow, this is really good because traditionally what has been happening in India that it is more of the academic scientist holding this this kind of position. And it was kind of a very, I was very excited to see somebody from industry recruited as the director of Imtech. So tell us about that story. You know, how did Imtech happen in your career? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, to be honest, uh, when, uh, when we were, uh, launching Bedeklin or when Bedeklin was getting approved globally in 2016, I still remember the day. It was it was March, somewhere in the March 2016. I had gone to India for the conditional approval or launch of Bedeklin. And the launch was done by our honorable health minister then, Shani J.P. Naraji in Delhi. And, and you remember, I left India in 1996. Long back, yeah. And I came back to India, of course, uh, in a different avatar in 2016 on launch of Bedeklin. And in all those 20 years, I was looking, trying to look for a drug for TB. And this was like, this was mispanizing moment for me. Was that I'm back to Delhi mm -hmm. 20 years. It was a full circle kind of a thing. 
coming back as a started in Delhi as a student, coming back at Delhi on a launch of a drug where I really worked hard and also the team and everybody else contributed. So Brother Clint's story was where, where all my stars aligned together and and made that moment of 2000, March 2016 possible to see uh, this drug can be used in patients in India where I came from or where I started with. So after, two th after that event, I had a chance to meet our Honorable Prime Minister uh, in, in Brussels. Mm -hmm. uh, and that chance meeting also gave me an opportunity to see how we can change and uh, the uh, the aspects of research we do in India into more translational side. That means how do we how do we uh, galvanize the resources or all the activities in our labs in the government labs? Uh, how that can be used uh, for. Uh, for new products, for new innovations, for new methods to basically improve the public good. So how do we monetize, even monetize some of the R&D happening in our major public health institutions in India? And that's, uh, to cut the lot, long story short, uh, Imtech was another, uh, another opportunities where all the stars aligned. So everybody aligned together and gave me this fantastic, wonderful lifetime opportunity to, to lead an amazing institution, as you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was one of the best phases uh, and one of the best learnings of my life. And what what difference did you see? Like, you know, because you have worked in the, say, the corporate environment for so long. And then, you know, having an institute that is more driven by academia, although, you know, the aim of, it is a council for scientific and industrial research, right? So what did you, like, what are the challenges that you see ahead of MTech and how can one improve upon that? I think before we go into the challenges, the key is that what are the opportunities? Exactly. MTech mm -hmm. mm -hmm. or CSIR, uh, as you know, is one of the, it, it's, it's one of the very fundamental institutions in terms of if you look at their infrastructure in biopharmaceuticals, whether it's fermentation technology, whether it is uh, uh, GMP facilities, uh, or whether it is deep-rooted biology. I think uh, these institutions are uh, uh, have been built with, with the aim to deliver what we call industrial um, research or uh, end products to for uh, pop, uh, for Indian population in general, or for the global population for in general, and Imtech was one of those learnings for me, uh, which uh, which uh, where I learned how how much how much possibilities are there for public health R and D to shape the uh, uh, to shape the healthcare uh, uh, for its citizens. And uh, and uh, it has amazing, talented, aspirational students, amazing uh, infrastructure. One of the one of the, one of the most beautiful labs I have I have seen across the world. Yeah, it's designed so well. I was also very yeah. It's it's so amazing. It's so amazing, and one of the uh, means uh, very talented people. Very talented people. And if we, when we see in the industry, we realize that there is a there is a parallel set of ecosystem which is government, mm -hmm. and government sees industry, so they don't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. We need to be more collaborative with each other, and that's 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 where I saw the possibilities of the government and industry coming together to address some of the global public health issues. We are talking about global public health right now. And 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 it really opened my eyes in terms of how governments can shape uh, and help the, the define the global public agenda as well as help us uh, in and uh, and bringing new innovation uh, for some of these neglected diseases. I think from a challenge perspective, the biggest um, biggest challenge some of these institutions face 
is basically the um, the ease of doing science. We build these institutions, um, but we build the policies which become restrictive over a period of time. Restrictive for students, restrictive for scientists, restrictive in terms of not enabling science. We, uh, we as leaders need to enable science rather than put up policies which become very difficult and bureaucratic and hard to manage the science. So, so it's in the end, it's basically a mixture of ease of doing science, ease of doing business in these institutions, facilitating that industry academia interactions, bringing industry closer to the academic institutions, uh, facilitating helping industry uh, in uh, in making that network and yeah, fostering innovation in the end. So I I still believe a lot can be done across these institutions. But at the same time, I have now realization our industry also needs to come forward to help and innovate. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at countries like Germany, if you look at countries like South Korea, if you look at countries like Israel, very small countries as compared to the size of India or even US for that matter, you see a lot of innovation and R&D funding comes from uh, industry. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. To the tune of 80 to, 80 to 85% in some cases. While in India, it is the reverse. A lot of uh, expectation is that the government spends uh, on the R and D and the science budget, while industry is um, uh, is basically uh, uh, look at uh, uh, not that participatory in the early innovation part of the whole. So we need enablements where we have more industry participation in the uh, in the uh, in the R and D and 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 I'm sure that the moment the day we have that in India it will change a lot of R&D ecosystem as well as create more opportunities for science to foster and also uh, also kill some of those uh, restrictive policies uh, and enable students to do better science. Fantastic. So now you're also an adjunct professor of translational research at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So how do you bridge the gap between academia and industry in your work? And what are some of the strategies that you employ, say, to foster innovation and collaboration in the field of drug discovery? Say? Yeah, I think learning school is the outcome of IMTEC uh, learnings. So uh, IMTEC learnings uh, uh, is uh, told me basically that uh, what what public health institutions, uh, how they can help and shape the um, global public health agenda and help also in innovation part, uh, fairly the early drug discovery innovation part of it. And uh, so London School is the third most reputed public health. Its ranking is around second or third globally in the uh, public health domain. One of the amazing talented institutions in the world. So what we did is that we set up an EB lab, uh, which I run right now with five to ten people, uh, and um, this is on top of my J and J job. So <laughs> I have those uh, two hats right now. And that's why the question: How do you bridge the gap? But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so you you have to be uh, you have to be at different places at different times. <laughs> so so some, somehow I'm 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 managing it. But I think the, the mission is same. Irrespective of the uh, domains, the mission is the same. How do you bring the next generation and TB drugs? How do you change the TB treatment paradigm uh, after, even after medically? So, uh, so that's how London School is happening. But beyond London School, we uh, also have established uh, labs in uh, Duke and US, mm-hmm. in Singapore, where we are looking at flaviviruses like dengue, Zika. Uh, Japanese encephalitis, um, uh, yellow fever, and few other things. Very, uh, very, very nasty uh, viral pathogens. Uh, and then we have another lab in a very talented environment of uh, X3D, uh, which is uh, in the University of Cape Town, uh, looking at antibiotics uh, and drug resistance from an African perspective. Mm-hmm. 
So, so trying to discover new drugs and new uh, new molecules, new antibiotics, uh, um, taking into account the resistance, emerging resistance to antibiotics out in an African continent. So, very very nice innovative aspects of a public-private partnership. All the outcomes of learnings from Imtech, learnings from Bedeklin, learnings from Lab in uh, Max Planck, and of course, learning from Delhi University. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, coming back to, you know, to focus on our listeners who are generally like, you know, aspiring, say, students, PhD students, master's students, and they all write me, you know, I mean, especially when they kind of see podcasts like this, they ask about, you know, how could they develop like the key skills and qualities that are perhaps say, required to be a successful scientist in, say, in your case, in big pharma. And um, what what advice would you give to the students, you know, in terms of skills? How can they, up, like, you know, um, upgrade their skills so that one day they can be a successful scientist in, say, a pharmaceutical industry? I, I think the key is to understand that biology is fundamentally changed. Mm-hmm. Biology is more interdisciplinary. Biology is more, um, more, mm, uh, more, not the same biology which we used to do. You and me used to do uh, twenty or thirty years ago. It's it has more the components of informatics. It has more components of the technology. It has components of physics, chemistry, all coming together. We are right now in an amalgam of biological sciences with all different domains of sciences coming together. This century is going to be the century of biology. I I, ha, I have really firm belief in that. Whether it's the application of data sciences to the human health, mm-hmm. whether it's the application of all the genomics to the human health, we are going to unravel amazing aspects of our own being, our own consciousness, I hope, one day. And uh, and also solve some of the major um, mental health issues what we have, right? From Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and get deeper inside our brain in our own understanding of what we as human race are. Mm-hmm. So for students, I think the key is that uh, you, you, you are authentic to what you are trying to do or what you believe in. That authenticity is very important. And also embrace the opportunities, that, as I said, that in the multidimensional biology area. Mm-hmm. From pharmaceutical industry, we, 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 we employ people right in the regulatory sciences. It's not only biological lab, uh, wet lab work, which is critical. Uh, regulatory sciences, pharma, uh, pharmacology, toxicology, ethical sciences. Uh, Architects, as you said. Market access is one of the, one of those things. Uh, and discovery of biology is one of those things. Uh, even uh, even clinical sciences. So there are so much opportunities which a lot of us are not really aware of, and we go with a one-dimensional thinking that this is the start and this is the end. While there is no end to the learning, and there is no end to the opportunities. Also, you just need to keep open mind. You just need to be looking. You should not you uh, somebody as Steve Jobs said or somebody else. Not you didn't say it, but somebody else said that stay hungry, stay foolish. Yeah, that's Steve Jobs. Yeah, yeah. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's that's how how you grow. You you in the moment you start thinking that this is the line and this is the field. It, uh, yeah, it means you 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 don't evolve. You have to constantly evolve with the changing pace of technology changing pace of science and there are multiple of opportunities there are so many opportunities for all these young talented biologists which are out there i feel like the field is so so open it's the best time to be in the biological sciences that's inspirational yeah that's amazing to hear because one issue yeah you see how sirna is and uh, not, not only sirna it's this for uh, absolutely I was about to say that, you know, like when you were t- talking about jumping genes, you know, because in my days, SIRNA was a big thing, you know, and then now when I talk to new PhDs, they all talk about CRISPR and, you know, gene gene editing and everything. And, you know, it just excites me, you know, how biology is getting developed day by day. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. we we, we are using the CRISPR-I right now, even in our labs to knock out genes in the microbacteria. 
It's such a powerful, amazing tool. Yeah. And the application of the CRISPR AI in skill cell anemia and so many other uh, 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 cell and gene therapy applications. It's really, really amazing. I think the way the oncology is changing right now with cell uh, cell therapy. Mm-hmm. With gene and cell therapy is absolutely caught is huge, huge transformation. We are living at the cusp of technological and biological immune oncology. Wow. This is this is somebody we never thought this is going to happen, but now we are treating cancer by by boosting our own immune systems. Think about it, what where we have come from and where we are going in terms of eradicating some of these diseases. And I'm I'm sure that one day we, we can get get inside our brains a little bit better understand Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and even our own, how does our consciousness arise and mean? And it will be, in the end, a biological phenomenon, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, Elon Musk has a startup called Neuralink, and he wants to build something, you know. I mean, it's not a startup anymore. It's already a legit company, you know, working on, say, connecting the brain with external uh, neural links. Uh I mean, you have partly already answered, but I was going to ask you about the, you know, how do you see uh, the future of drug discovery and are there any emerging trends and technologies? You have touched a uh, little on them, but, you know, perhaps you can you know, elaborate on them. Yeah, I think uh, in the last three to four weeks, uh, I uh, we, we looked at three or four companies who are doing AI-based drug discovery. Mm-hmm. If you if you would have spoken to me six months ago, I would have said, ah, this AI-based drug discovery, this may not happen because drug discovery is so challenging. And so challenging, it needs experience, it needs expertise, it needs different uh, things coming together, and it uh, it's it's not in silico. Mm-hmm. It, it's more uh, a wet lab biology and driven uh, or chemistry driven focus. But now. Uh, I can. I will take that. I am wrong. I feel that uh, I, I, that our knowledge is get outdated very soon. So this AI role application from discovery is basically looking at algorithms which can give you new chemistries, and based on just the crystal structure of uh, of any protein, and that novelty, without going through the high throughput screening route, is seems to be very exciting for us, especially for global public health, where the innovation is limited. Mm-hmm. Innovation has stayed um, same and has not moved as the same pace as we have seen in oncology or immunology or other therapeutic areas. These new modalities, they will be cost-effective also mm-hmm. and give us new chemical matter in the span of a yeah, few months. And uh, we can look at a new chemical and uh, new inhibitors, new drugs uh, coming out of these AI platforms. So so once again, amazing in terms of what the possibilities are and how cost effective they can be. Um, let's it still needs to be proven, let me be honest, maybe my enthusiasm is uh, misplaced. And a lot of these things still need to be pruned, but we are already using data science. Uh, big way, I should say. Big way, in yeah. big way. Globally, data science, integration, and in clinical trials, in patient recruitments, in finding those uh, clinical sites, in, um, uh, in defining those biomarkers. And data science in the early discovery biology, whether it's the omics platform or it is the integration of genomics, uh, uh, on a on a high dimensional patient level, is or even the high content imaging story is really really transformation that you can image inside the cell cellular processes. Wow! And what thought about now we can image a viral how virus replicates from inside the cell and you can look at it. I was obvious to see it. You can do it with the same with mycobacterial tuberculosis. You can image the replication of the whole bacterium for for three weeks, wow. you have a video image of at a single cellular level. Yes. So that, uh, this uh, single cell omics. What are we talking about? We are going so deep with all these tools. What we have in understanding the fundamentals of biology. So 
Yeah. And as you rightly said, now biology is not just biology alone anymore. It's because, you know, the, you have so much of advancements in other sciences as well, you know, you can tackle the most difficult questions in biology with the tools that you already have. So that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I think the only what we have to be cautious about is that we don't become uh, mere applicators of the tools. Absolutely. We, we really need to keep our fundamental understanding and, and power of data analysis is the most critical thing here. It just doesn't need to be that we use these fancy tools for the sake because they are there. The questioning, the answers, problem solving, yeah. the, mm -hmm. the problem solving is the most critical thing. Sometimes this most complex things get solved by very simple means with very simple understanding. So we should not also get swallowed away by the technology mm -hmm. progress. We should be we should we should keep our common sense and common inquisitiveness still alive. That's what science is in the end. It's it's basically we may not have the full knowledge, but if you give me a data set, I may be able to understand and interpret the most critical aspect of that particular data and see what the application lies. Fantastic. So coming yeah, coming to the final section of the podcast, you know, what advice would you give to biology students? If you were to give one great advice to biology students who wants to have a career in this path, you know, biotechnology, what would what would you give? I think my my um, main advice is basically stay focused, mm -hmm. stay authentic. Authenticity is key in, mm -hmm. in your relationships, in your approach, in your career choices. Stay believe in in what you are trying to do. If you if you don't find the purpose, you don't need to do it. There are multiple. Everybody is smart enough to find a way uh, around this world. So uh, that uh, that uh, and don't take short shortcuts. I think sometimes we think that the short term gain gain uh, will give us a long term success. It's not true. We need we need to develop that deep expertise and deep talent, and uh, and success is always there along the way. If you have authenticity, if you are true to your nature. If you are able to uh, able to help people along the way, yes. to shape their lives also, and if you are uh, if you are open to the opportunities, not be a, being a closed box. So, and in the end, if you are focused, sharp ladies are focused in the world where we all are distracted multiple times. In the Instagram world of instant gratification, yeah, yeah, and gratification, and so. Uh, so how do you escape that? We, uh, yeah. So, so, so many things. Yeah. Fantastic. So and also, the, and also to find some mentors, somebody whom you can basically help and coach you. That is so important. And, and as I said earlier, that we are all outcome of other people's uh, beliefs in us, or other people's uh, how how they helped us and to shape what we are, even you, even me, everybody else. Absolutely. We owe it to a lot of people. We owe it to so many people. We owe it to so much back to the society. And we owe it to millions of people across the world. So, so much uh, fortunate we have been in where we are. Absolutely. So, Professor Kual, tell us also about your hobbies. What do you do when you do not do science? Yeah, what... What I do when I don't do science is basically I I love badminton. Is it? Uh, these days I've I've been I'm doing it for the last twenty years, but these days more specifically because uh, it helps me. Those two hours help me to focus on the on the shuttlecock. Wow! Uh, it it clutters my mind quite a lot, so it takes the uh, that uh, the toxic end products of my uh, of my neural metabolism out uh, and uh, yeah and uh, it's it's a, it's a phenomenal thing that uh, uh, helps me manage and uh, the stress of uh, of everyday life so badminton yeah by the way you know people who play racket sports tend to live longer so that's a side side effect that you have yeah i don't want to live long but, <laughs> but 
But yeah, I think I think you know the society society will be happy to have you for long, you know, because you you keep on contributing with your your fascinating innovations. Uh, apart uh, from uh, badminton, what else? I think uh, uh, just to the previous question, the key the key is also the social interactions. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, there are a lot of data around it. The more positive interactions you have, the more uh, interactions mm -hmm. based on um, that social network, which is based on enablement uh, and uh, why do you surround yourself by people who are inspiring, uh, who uh, who motivate you, who bring you up, and who with whom you can share so many things. And that is the reason of one long life and longevity one of the yeah that's, that's one, one of the one of the reasons yeah but that's one of the most yeah vital indicator it's actually a uh, there's a very long long study of 75 years longitudinal study done in harvard and that exactly says what you just said yeah so. and and beyond that i think i also i also like cooking i love uh, love indian food uh, and uh, or several other international cuisines also, but uh, particularly and the North Indian and, and South Indian. South Indian is my favorite. Wow. And, uh, mine too, by the way. Mine too. I love dosa and Indian, especially I go to, you know, Frankfurt just to have that because I don't get in my town. I tried to add dosa the first time at home. It was a disaster. Yeah, so, it's, it's so tricky. It's so tricky. Dosa is tricky. Uh, it's tricky. Yeah, beyond that, I love to read, but uh, in the last uh, yeah last several months, nothing much. But I really like uh, reading a lot, so it, it's also one of my favorite passions uh, uh, to read. Yeah, fantastic. So, Professor Call, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Manish. It was wonderful talking to you. Hope to see you sometimes in uh, real life. Yes, and you should visit me sometimes. Whenever you are this side, I live in Mannheim, so you're most invited to join me at my place. Same here. If, if you are uh, close by, happy to host you. Thank you so much. And to the audience, thank you so much for tuning into Biology Career Insights. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episode delivered straight to your device. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.